The contents of the lab report are meant for educational purposes only. They're not meant to be misconstrued as medical diagnosis or treatment advice. Today on The Lab Report, we're going to talk to Dr. Mike T. Nelson. Exercise physiology, nutrition, coaching. And we're going to get into some interesting terrain. That's right. The world of medicine can be challenging. Clinicians and patients are always looking for more options, more effective treatments, and in the end, more answers. Functional and integrative medicine focuses on addressing root causes of disease. Here at Genova Diagnostics, we've watched this field evolve and grow for over 35 years. We've not only adapted, we've led. Join us as we talk about functional medicine, laboratory testing, and optimizing health. Welcome to the Lab Report. Terrain? That's right. Interesting terrain. That's right. It's a good word. Yeah, it's a metaphor, right? Yeah. Hello. Hey, Michael Chapman. Hi, Patty Devers. How are you doing today? So great. How about you? I'm doing awesome. Well, I'm so glad you're here. Welcome to the Lab Report. Oh, thank you. That's a nice thing to say. Welcome yeah. to you as well. Uh, and welcome to everyone to this podcast brought to you by Genova Diagnostics, where we talk about functional medicine, specialty lab mm -hmm. testing, integrative therapeutics, mm -hmm. and all the rest of it. All that stuff. The like. That's right. And if you're new to this podcast, welcome. And I hope you can go to iTunes or Spotify and subscribe to the show. Maybe rate, review, leave us some stars and some feedback. And if you've got additional feedback, you can email it to podcast at gdx.net. That's right. And we have a very interesting guest coming on today, Dr. Mike T. Nelson. Like the interesting terrain that it's we're going to cover. It's true. Because he's not just a coach and an exercise physiologist. He has some really interesting modalities that he uses. Yeah. We're going to talk about those, but we're also going to get his thoughts on just uh, sports optimization, athletic performance mm -hmm. optimization, and all those things. Talk a little bit about nutrition. It's going to be a good time before uh, we waste any more of your time. Maybe we should just get him. Oh, great idea. So, Michael, yes, we are honored to have Dr. Mike T. Nelson here today. Absolutely. I know. Well, let me tell you a bit about Dr. Nelson. Dr. Mike T. Nelson has spent 18 years of his life learning how the human body works, specifically focusing on how to properly condition it to burn fat and become stronger, more flexible, and healthier. Dr. Nelson has a PhD in exercise physiology, a BA in natural science, and an MS in biomechanics. He is also an adjunct professor and a member of the American College of Sports medicine. Dr. Nelson has been called in to share his techniques with top government agencies. The techniques he's developed and results Mike gets for his clients have been featured in international magazines, scientific publications, and on podcasts and websites across the globe. Cool. And with that, welcome to the yeah. podcast, Dr. Nelson. Thank you for coming. Yeah, thank you both for having me here. I really appreciate it. Thank Absolutely. you so much. Absolutely. So, Dr. Nelson, you know, we've had some individuals, some previous guests on, uh, in your field in exercise physiology and, and mm -hmm. nutrition. And one of the things is a lot of them have a history in athletics and sports, and that's kind of what drove them into studying exercise physiology. Is this, is this kind of similar to your path or is it different? I would say it's similar, although I'm probably the inverse. Mm -hmm. I got into it because I was absolutely horrible at everything sports related. <laughs> <laughs> um, like in, you know, when you go through like fifth grade, sixth grade, high school, that kind of thing where, you have to pick uh, teams. I uh -huh. oh, I hated that because at the end of it, I was always the last person picked. And then there was an argument about, do we really uh. have to take him or not? Can we just play without him? Oh, um, so, drama. Yeah. And, and for a while, like up until later, I 
I thought it was normal that balls hit you in the face. <laughs> I just thought that this is a normal part of growing up and that you're not that athletic and <laughs> that's just part of how it is. And then later on, it turns out that I, when I was a kid, I had a lazy eye mm-hmm. or strabismus. Uh-huh. And so what they did at the time, this is four years after I was born, so 1978, they said, we'll just patch the quote unquote good eye. And mm-hmm. they'll make the other eye work more because of it. Mm-hmm. And then, voila, my eyes would track together. They said, oh, you're great. Don't ever worry about it again. Mm-hmm. So I didn't think of any of this until later. I took some courses uh, from Z Health and some other visual courses. And as part of the courses, they're testing just basic eye function, uh, just how your eyes move together and do different functions. Mm-hmm. And during the course, they're like, hey, you got to come test these guys' eyeballs. Look at this. This is crazy stuff going on. So everybody in the class was like testing my eyes because they're doing all this wonky stuff. Mm-hmm. And then gets into your history and I'm like, oh, oh, maybe that's why I'm afraid of heights. Maybe that's why balls huh. hit me in the face because yeah. I can't see in 3D. Huh. Yeah. My eyes will drop to monocular vision. They can't fuse an image together. Yeah. Um, so that and, you know, I was six foot three graduated high school my first year of college i still weighed 156 pounds mm-hmm. they're kind of more like a eel-shaped rake than anything <laughs> else and i'm like well maybe i should do this lifting thing maybe you know maybe that might be helpful and spend the first three to four years just being a complete idiot and trying everything and you know it kind of gradually worked and you know, eventually after many years the, the highest I ever got up to is like 245 which you know, some of that mm-hmm. was fat yeah. but yeah. even just trying to get across 200 took like years of even once i was doing it i'd say more intelligently mm-hmm. so that right. kind of drove me into physiology was one of the rare classes that was actually pretty easy for me mm-hmm. and when i did my undergrad at st scholastica in duluth minnesota they actually had cadavers for anatomy and physiology Whoa. and they got new cadavers every quarter hmm. Which is really rare for yeah. an undergraduate program yeah. that your first anatomy and physiology experience is, you know, actual cadavers that right. are in good shape, not one they've kept for five years and right. kind of doesn't look like anything else. Uh-huh. Right. Um, right. So that was kind of interesting. I just kept taking those more, more of those classes uh, for fun and just kind of went on from there. I did not expect that answer, actually. I thought you were going to tell me you were an athlete. I'm like, what? No. Aww. One of my greatest compliments, though, was I, I did some more dissection course through uh, Tom Myers, like probably this course was three years ago. And mm-hmm. a buddy of mine there, uh, Steve Horney, was like, oh, so you you must have played sports, right? He just kind of thought uh-huh. I was like some tight end for football or whatever. <laughs> yeah, right. like, yeah. oh, that is like the greatest compliment like ever. <laughs> <laughs> well, we know that you have parlayed all of this into an amazing career of coaching. And among your program offerings at MikeTNelson.com, you do this comprehensive one-on-one coaching and nutritional personalization. But your coaching is a little bit different because you incorporate other things like RPR activation. What is RPR activation? Yeah, RPR is Reflexive Performance Reset, and it's an offshoot of a course originally from uh, Douglas Hill called Be Activated. Um, so that's how I got into it. A good buddy of mine, Cal Dietz, University of Minnesota, I did my PhD. He was just around the corner from the lab that I was in. So I would go down and harass him with my random <laughs> questions whenever I could. Yeah. And he came to me about as four and a half years ago. He's like, hey, man, I got this guy. I'm flying him in from South Africa. You got to take the certification. Uh-huh. I'm like, what? What are you talking about? I'm like, how much is this? Oh, it's just like fifteen hundred dollars for two days. And I'm like, well, 
what do we do? Like, what is it? Mm-hmm. Oh, it's the craziest stuff you've ever seen, man. You got to do it. I'm like, okay, sure, whatever. So I sign up to this course, and uh, the Be Activated model is more of a medical model. Mm-hmm. So you're doing kind of hands-on work on each other. Okay. And then the offshoot of that is our PR reflexive performance reset, where you're doing the work on yourself. Mm-hmm. So what it looks like, it looks really crazy, but mm-hmm. you're kind of poking around your sternum to get your diaphragm to work better. You're poking around the back part of your head, kind of near the base of your skull, to get your glute max to work better. Like, hmm. what? A, how are these points what? even related, right? They don't right. seem to make any sense whatsoever. Yeah. Uh-huh. And they're kind of a combination of acupuncture, acupressure points, um, embryological development. So one of the reflexes in kids is when they learn to tilt their head back up, that corresponds to them getting hip extension. So there's a little mm. bit of a reflex where if you work on those little muscles in that area, your glute max tends to work better. Mm-hmm. So it was super interesting. We're now an online. So I do this uh, hands-on work in person quite a bit. Okay. Um, but for online model, I can then sort of translate that into it. So I give them a series of warm-ups where they're working on themselves. And then over time, they'll say, okay, here, let me perform a, a glute bridge, for example. Like, where do you feel it? Oh, the front part of my hips are really tight. Okay, so maybe we need to do more activation for the rectus femoris, so as muscles in the front so that they can relax under the load, do some more glute max stuff, do some diaphragm stuff. And I can tell them what exercises these RPR points to do on themselves. Mm-hmm. They can go do them and then report back, oh, yeah, that feels a lot better. I can feel my glutes now or send a video doing a squat or different things like that. So it's nice that it gives them a way of doing their own activation work on themselves at the end of the day. That's interesting. That's fascinating. That is fascinating. Yeah. And and it's <laughs> I'd, I'd love to see like kind of the, some of the mapping around all the points and just, right? you know, get some, some interesting insight there. That's that's really interesting. You also use some interesting training and biofeedback methods like daily undulating periodization and dolphin microcurrent. We've we've talked a little bit about biofeedback on this uh, mm-hmm. podcast before, but what is daily undulating periodization? Yeah, it's just a fancy name for different ways to set up uh, stress throughout the week for lifting. Okay. Um, so even I'd say a more simpler way is most clients probably don't need to get that fancy. Mm-hmm. But if I were looking at what are their particular goals, um, kind of the old school bodybuilding way, which can work if you're a very, I'd say, advanced uh, person, is you have, you know, Monday is your standard, you know, dude, bro, chest day. Mm-hmm. And maybe Tuesday is arm day and Wednesday is back and bicep days, whatever. It's kind of split out between these kind of body part type things. Right. Mm-hmm. And you may not really do a lot of chest stuff again until the following Monday. Because everybody knows it's Monday's National Bench Press Day. <laughs> um, but what I found is unless you're a really advanced athlete, like you can probably take that workload and spread it out more over the course of the week and not go as much into fatigue. Mm-hmm. So for example, I may have a more whole body hybrid type day starting with deadlifts on Monday, some accessory work. Wednesday may be a little bit more upper body focused, but they're still doing maybe some pressing on Friday, maybe some light arm work on Thursday. I'm trying to take all of the load or the stress that I'm applying on their system instead of hyper concentrating it into one day mm-hmm. we're spreading mm-hmm. that out over the course of the week. So if you look at something like the triceps, right, they're probably getting hit like almost 
four times a week. Right. Uh, oh, even okay. lower body stuff, if they're doing especially some rower like concept two work, they're probably getting hit almost every day or every other day. Um, but you're not going super far into high levels of fatigue. So you can recover and come back and do it again. So it's a little bit more of a high frequency-ish model. And I just find that people can keep the quality of work that they do a lot higher. Mm-hmm. And they just make faster results and gains from it. So oh. it, it does seem to result in the same type of gains uh, at the end of the day. I think it's similar, but if we look at, say, someone who's not super advanced doing all their chest exercises on Monday, by the time they get to their third or fourth exercise, the quality or how much even just volume they're moving is usually quite a bit less. Mm -hmm. So by spreading Mm -hmm. it out, I find they can lift a little bit heavier and do more volume, which is going to be if their goal is hypertrophy and even strength, one of the main things that we're going to be after. And because the quality is a little bit higher, they're lifting heavier loads and doing a little bit more work. Uh, they're going to see a little bit better uh, results from it. Mm-hmm. And then on the mental side, even if their whole goal is just trying to add as much lean body mass as possible, it's really, really hard to measure that. You know, yeah, mm-hmm. you can use scale weight, you can use some other things, but we're not tossing people in MRIs like you know every four weeks to try to figure out if they've gained you know one right. or two pounds of lean body mass, mm-hmm. right? Um, but if we're monitoring performance pretty closely, we can look and see, oh, okay, for that you know, bench press of 165, you did five reps, and then now you've done three sets using six reps. Mm-hmm. So not a big difference, but you're still doing a little bit more. Yeah. Yeah. And if we're doing a little bit more over time, we're keeping the quality of the work the same, we know that we're sending that stimulus to add more lean body mass, assuming you know, the calories, nutrition, everything else is correct. Right. Um, We're trying to measure the actual thing that we want. It's really, really hard to do because there's a lot of noise in that measurement. Um, But performance doesn't take a lot of tools to measure, just a simple notebook and counting some reps. And we can keep track of that over time to make sure we're giving the body the correct stimulus. Cool. Makes sense. Tell me a little bit about this dolphin microcurrent. Um, How do you use this? So I got into this with uh, the uh, Swiss conference in Canada probably three and a half, four years ago. Uh, There's a guy there who has these two kind of handheld looking devices and they're making all these weird kind of beeping noises. (laughs) So I'm walking by and I'm thinking, what the heck is this thing? This looks insane. And so I'm talking, I'm like, hey man, do you mind if I just watch for a while? He's like, yeah, it's fine. Uh, So a guy comes up with just this mangled ankle that he had in a motorcycle accident years ago. Mm. And so guy's working on it. You can see it literally kind of like change color and get a little bit more lifelike looking Hmm. like wow that's crazy so he's like working on people i said hey man do you mind working on me he's like oh sure he said what do you got going on i said well i got a a midline scar here from when i had open heart surgery when i was four and a half Hmm. it's like oh okay it's like oh take your shirt off lay down on the table so take my shirt off lay down he looks at me and he goes this will change your life (laughs) (laughs) i'm like I don't know, man. I don't This This seems like pretty crazy stuff, but what the hell? I'll try it. <laughs> right. Um, so he works on the scar for probably half hour, does a few other things. And I'm saying, you know, how does this work? Like, what are you doing? It's like, oh, we're passing a little bit of microcurrent from one electrode to the next. Mm-hmm. It can help with local uh, ATP and scars are kind of more insulated, you know, materials. So they're making them more conductive. And then you connect them to some acupuncture points. And I don't know, it all sounds kind of weird. And he's like, well, we're changing the autonomic tone of your body. 
So you'll become more parasympathetic, so more relaxed. I'm like, oh, that's cool. I said, I measure my heart rate variability each day. So I said, I can come back tomorrow and see if there's any change. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. At this point, I thought he was going to be like, oh, well, you know, that doesn't always happen. <laughs> you know? And he's like, oh, that's cool. Let me know what you find. Right. I'm like, well, that's rather optimistic knowing that I'm going to show back up here tomorrow and, you know, point to little numbers and stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, so I got done and I woke up the next day and even that night, like my resting heart rate dropped by like eight, 10 beats. My HRV went up like 15 points the next mm-hmm. morning, mm-hmm. Um, stayed up for like three days, which is pretty rare. So mm-hmm. I went back and, uh, yeah, ended up buying, <laughs> buying the <laughs> units and, uh, wow. took their courses and I primarily use it for scar work. Okay. So if I have someone like doing in-person stuff and we're just not seeing the changes that I would normally expect mm-hmm. on my little list of like weird stuff that may be affecting it. Uh, one of the things is, do you have any scars? And for whatever reason, like midline scars seem to be more of an issue. Mm. So if they've got them on their sternum, abdominal area for women, uh, C-sections going across the other way. Mm-hmm. Uh, we'll take the dolphin, go through, do that. And then we'll literally apply almost like the same therapy stuff, be activated training, and it starts working again. Hmm. And that's happened, and I don't know how many times. Wow. Um, so just one of those weird things. I mean, I even had an NDA with the company for a whole year just to try to figure out exactly what the hell's <laughs> like going on. <laughs> right. Even if I couldn't tell anyone about it, I just <laughs> wanted to know personally. And I still don't 100% understand it, to be honest. <laughs> you know, I really appreciate, because here in functional medicine, we are kind of like out on a limb, thinking about things differently, yeah. keeping an open mind. So I appreciate how open you are to all yeah. of these other different modalities yeah, available sure. in coaching. It's just awesome. I love it. Um, and so with that, you mentioned heart rate variability and you talked about being in parasympathetic state. And on the show, we've done a lot of talking about that, the need to balance yeah. sympathetic, parasympathetic. So do you use HRV in your athletes and do you actually see them perform better? Do you actually see the difference yeah, so I have used HRV since the first time I did it on athlete was I think eleven years ago now. Oh, yeah. Um, so yeah, I did research on it. I published that about thirteen years ago, looking at heart rate variability, especially after energy drink consumption. Hmm. Uh, short version on that: heart rate did change a little bit. HRV paradoxically did not change, which could have oh. been uh, recreational, just healthy college students. Could have been the dose. Who knows? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, but at the time when I did the research, it was a pain in the butt that we had some used equipment that cost us about 10 grand to pick up used. Hmm. Wow. You had to come in the lab. We had to hook you up. We had to do the measurements. In the background, I had to write this custom program to translate it from that lab and drop it into Kubio. It's all this monkey motion. Mm-hmm. It was a real pain in the butt. Not really that useful. Okay. Um, but luckily, a couple of years after that, an app came out called iThlete. So instead of athlete, it's iThlete. Mm-hmm. Uh, the guy, Simon... Uh, did his background actually in digital signal processing for primarily audio companies. Hmm. And the downside of a lot of the apps was the people designing them didn't necessarily have a good signals background. So they thought, hey, we'll just, you know, stick this app on here and we'll get it to work. But like all things, right, if you're not careful about the noise that comes through, you can get really wacky measurements because you're only gathering data for 60 seconds. So it turns out that I did some studies. The app is pretty accurate. So I started using that on all the athletes and one-on-one clients. Initially, I thought I would just would use it on athletes for more training and performance, but I wanted more data, so I just started using it on everybody. Mm-hmm. 
what I found was for athletes where their lifestyle is pretty controlled, like day to day, they're pretty good. The nutrition's the same. Their sleep's the same. Recovery's the same. The training is a big thing, the big stressor that changes. So that was pretty easy to figure out because now with HRV, we can kind of dial their training up or down depending upon what we're seeing. Mm -hmm. For clients that were not more higher level athletes, they were the inverse. It was primarily their lifestyle that was kind of a disaster. Right. Mm. Um, so I could use HRV to try to drive more lifestyle changes and point out that, hey, look, Bob, you haven't slept well for the last four nights via your self-report. And your HRV is showing that you're a lot more stressed. So I would just draw this little graph and show it to them and be like, hey, what do you think's going on? And like, oh, oh my gosh, when I don't sleep as much, I get more stressed. <laughs> you know, and this is like the same conversation we've had almost every week for three months prior. <laughs> right. But then seeing the actual data, it all of a sudden became more real. Yeah. yeah. And then for an intervention, you're like, okay, let's, you know, work on sleep hygiene, all the stuff you guys talk about, go to bed earlier, mm -hmm. whatever. And then we can try to measure, are you getting a little bit better? Because as you guys know, like some people have such a massive sleep debt that, yeah, they're doing the things that are better, but they don't feel a difference because they're in such a massive sleep debt. Mm -hmm. but a lot of times they'll see on HRV that they're actually getting a little bit better. So now we have kind of a positive feedback loop of, yeah, you know, those actions you're doing that are hard, you may not feel a difference, but we can, you know, quantitatively show you that your body is becoming less stressed overall. Mm -hmm. huh. So in terms of all-out performance with lifting, is HRV predictive of all-out performance? Not so much, really. Endurance, maybe. It's kind of split on that. Okay. Uh, but I do think it's really good at determining what the cost is. Yeah. If I drive my little 2001 Jetta to the grocery store, I can redline it and probably make it there a little faster. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But I can't expect myself to do that every day and, you know, have 250,000 miles in the car and have the engine still work well. Right. <laughs> right. So, yeah, I think you can you can definitely drop the hammer and do good acutely in a high stress situation, especially with lifting or, quote, more anaerobic type high intensity stuff. But there's going to be a cost associated with that, too. So I think mm -hmm. HRV is really good at looking at what is the cost of training or all of your lifestyle together so that over the course of maybe we're going to be training together for six months. Now I have the decision of, OK, we really want you to drop the hammer and take three shots of espresso and do well in the gym today. But that's going to cost us training for the next two, three, four days. Mm -hmm. If it. it's a competition, yeah, by all means, go for it. Right. If it's just another training day, probably not worth the cost to do that on your recovery on the back end. Okay. I think that's the part that people forget is they get super hyper-focused on the acute performance yeah. and not necessarily what is the cost of doing that on that particular day. I like that. Mm -hmm. well, well, what about other wearable devices like continuous glucose monitoring? Do you use any other wearables besides yeah. HRV? Yeah, uh, continuous glucose monitor is super interesting. Uh, we've used those off and on since the Libre Freestyle was the main one that came out. Um, I even, I do little experiments on my wife too. So <laughs> we, st we stuck one on her left tricep and then waited five minutes and stuck one on her right tricep just to see if they were kind of similar. Right. <laughs> mm -hmm. um, they're pretty similar. Um, and some of the devices have actually gotten better now. I mean, you can get, you know, super fancy thousand dollar ones too. Mm -hmm. yeah. But I think it's useful because everyone responds differently. And to be able to see what those differences are without having to prick your finger all the time is super useful. 
Yeah. yeah. And you can now see the, the kind of how the curve looks. Do you spike up super high and then crash? Do you not get super high? And we did this with my buddy, Dr. Ben House in Costa Rica a couple of years ago. Had a bunch of, you know, lifting dudes come down there and stuck, you know, these monitors on them and had them train and just started testing a bunch of stuff. And, you know, some guys, and these are all healthy guys who lift a lot of weights, you know, they could, you know, crush rice cakes, rice, popcorn, ice cream, no big difference. Hmm. One guy in particular would have the same amount or less in pineapple and his blood glucose would skyrocket. Hmm. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So there's some stuff from the Weissman Institute of Israel. A huge study they did in cell like many years ago. I know Rob Wolf's talked a lot about it too. That I think the amount obviously matters. The state of your physiology matters. When you're doing it matters. Is it in the morning? Is it after exercise? And it appears even if you try to standardize for fiber and glycemic index, glycemic index probably isn't that useful. But even if you try to standardize for those things, just the different types of food and some people will still have a different response. Yeah. So I think mm -hmm. it's useful if you're really getting down in the weeds and there's stuff you can't figure out uh, to try to look at some of those things, I think is actually really useful. Yeah. Great. And in your athletes, do you use that type of information to kind of predict and alter their diet for, you know, long-term performance? Yeah, we can. I mean, the progression I typically use is making sure their quality is good, making sure they're at the right quantity, especially if you're talking about athletes, a lot of them tend to dramatically undereat. So we'll watch performance very closely. We'll watch their heart rate variability, right? Because if you're under eating and you're still trying to perform at a level, that's going to be a stressor yeah. on your body. Now, if you're doing that for body comp on purpose, that's different. But if you're just looking for all out performance and trying to maintain your body comp where it's at, uh, from there, usually I'll have them start with just a precision extra in the morning, just do a fasted blood glucose in the morning. Mm -hmm. Um, sometimes that's, if that's kind of high or kind of wonky, or they want to go down to the next level, or they don't feel good during exercise and we can't really figure out what's going on. Then I think using like a continuous glucose monitor is useful. Mm -hmm. Um, usually we'll use it for only about two weeks. And then the first week I'll tell them just, just don't do anything different. We're just going to do exactly the same thing that we've done for the week before. And I kind of want to see the plan that we've been doing, is there anything that kind of jumps out, right. right? Do we see a big spike? Do they go in hypoglycemic at night? Are they seeing anything weird? Mm -hmm. uh, the next week we can do kind of crazy experiments and do like the, the morning two pop tart test and stuff like that. <laughs> right. And just kind of see how metabolically flexible they are. You know, how well can you handle fasting? How mm -hmm. well can you handle just high bolus, you know, injection of, of glucose yeah. per se too. Right. Um, and then we can play around with different types of foods also. Makes sense. Great, great. And that's a good segue switching a little bit to nutrition, which is another huge focus of your teaching and coaching. Uh, you host a podcast called the Flex Diet Podcast. So yeah. can you talk a little bit about what you mean uh, with respect to the Flex Diet? Yeah, so it's a certification that I came up with. It's the Flex Diet certification. So I wanted to figure out a way of with nutrition and recovery one, how do you set it up as a system where, say, one person in a bigger kind of CrossFit type gym can do a semi-customized approach of nutrition for everyone in the gym without pulling their hair out? Mm -hmm. <laughs> so right, that's initially right. <laughs> what I set it up as because I would go to a lot of these gyms and you know, you'd see a lot of really good training. You'd see a lot of you know very educated coaches. You'd see individual plans. You'd see a lot of stuff that's really, really good. You know, ask them like, well, what do you do for nutrition? It's like, oh, man, we tried it and it was a disaster. 
now we just do random 30 day challenges, you know, so like month one is keto and the next month is paleo and next month is whatever, mm-hmm. you know, and there's nothing wrong with any of those diets at all per se. Mm-hmm. But if you're changing something every 30 days, it's going to add a lot of confusion, uh, may not be the best for some of the clients because they probably have different goals. Right. So I took eight different interventions from, you know, protein, fats, carbohydrates, ketogenic approach, fasting, the neat exercise, sleep. And said, okay, how do I rank these so that people are starting with the thing that has the most leverage? Mm-hmm. So being a research geek, I'm like, okay, this is easy. We'll just go look at what are the you know, physiologic effects. And we'll start with the things that have the biggest physiologic effect, which anyone who's coached people before knows that that's probably going to be a disaster, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Because you could argue that sleep is probably near the top of that list, if not number one, number two. But anyone who's had discussions with their clients about trying to get them to sleep more, I, I would rather pound my head against a concrete wall <laughs> because they all agree and they understand the value of it. Yeah. But at the end of the day, it literally becomes, okay, so the two hours I hang out and watch Netflix at night with my spouse, significant other, if the kids have gone to bed, you're telling me, screw that, don't do that, just go to bed. Right. Mm-hmm. Kind of, right? right? So now you're into a whole yeah. value judgment of uh, their life and they're not going to change stuff. Right. and. So, so what I did is I created something called coaching leverage, which is the physiologic effect times the, the psychological aspect of the client's ability to change. Hmm. So I said, okay, physiologic aspect one to 10, ability to change is a one to 10. We'll just multiply those. Mm-hmm. So sleep has like a physiologic of, you know, probably a nine. Mm-hmm. Uh, client ability to change is like a one. Yeah. <laughs> right. So your overall score is like a nine which ended up being dead last overall. <laughs> right. Um, but something like protein, uh, protein has very high physiologic response, either nine or a 10. And most clients are kind of shocked, especially if body comp is their goal that, okay, hold on, wait a minute. You're telling me you want me to eat more of something. I thought I was just supposed to eat less of everything. Right. Like, no, I'm telling you, <laughs> I actually want you to eat more protein. Like, well, can I really eat too much protein? Not really in the vast majority of cases. And once they kind of get through that, they're like, oh, okay, this is relatively easy to do. So nine times a nine, you know, you're up near the top of the scale at that point. Yeah. So you're leveraging the things that have a physiologic effect and then also the things that clients are more able to do. So you're trying to rig the system in favor of the clients. Mm -hmm. And then the whole framework then is set up on a flexible approach using uh, metabolic flexibility and kind of flexible dieting. So people have a, a choice that they can kind of make. Uh, the analogy I use with uh, coaches is imagine if you're going to go bowling and your whole goal is just to hit as many strikes as possible, right? And you've got Bob again, who's never bowled in his life. Mm-hmm. And you could be the best bowling instructor in the world, but to get Bob to bowl strikes day after day, time after time, that's it's going to be pretty hard. right? Mm-hmm. Uh, but now if we just inflate the little bumpers on the side of the bowling alley, and your whole goal is just to get the ball down and knock some pins down, yeah. right? Your whole goal now is like, don't end up in lane three, stay in this <laughs> lane, weave around all you want and just hit some pins, right? Right. So trying to set up a system where it's more like, you know, bumper bowling where your goal is, yeah, you're going to weave, you're going to make changes. That's part of life. We want you to do that because we want you to learn what is beneficial for you so that you can continue to do it when we're not working with you. And again, we want you to make some success too. Yeah. And it just allows a better and easier on-ramp for people. 
That's fascinating. I, it makes me wonder too. Uh, did you do any ranking of mind body practices? Like, did that fall down toward the bottom around where sleep <laughs> is, or, or I don't know whether you've looked at that. Yeah, it's. I mean, I think they're definitely useful, but again, the explanation of for clients whose main goal is performance and body comp is a little harder to mm-hmm. get to. It's sure. not yeah. as direct. Yeah. And therefore, getting buy-in, I find, is is harder. Yeah. So what I do personally is if they can come to me in person, I'll do some of the deactivated hands-on stuff. We'll do a bunch of testing beforehand. We'll do testing after. And my whole goal is that literally to make them more in tune with their body by mm-hmm. demonstrating how different they can feel within the course of two hours. Right. So if mm-hmm. I can sandwich a massive difference in a short period of time, because our nervous system is very much comparative. Yeah. Uh, I live in Minnesota where it snowed. I'm actually in Texas right now. But um, if it's you know 20 below Fahrenheit in Minnesota in the winter, and you walk into my townhouse, you're like, oh, my gosh, it's super warm in here. It's 65 degrees. That's a you know, <laughs> 85 degree difference in a matter of seconds. It right. feels amazing. Right. But if you're hanging out in there all day, you're like, oh, it's kind of chilly in here. <laughs> right. Right. Um, so if you can get a massive difference in a short period of time, you can perceive that much easier. Yeah. So when I do hands-on in-person work, that's kind of my goal is to get them the highest level function in the shortest amount of time. And now they're bought in. So now I'm like, hey, go home, do these RPR drills, do some of this mind-body stuff, do some meditation. And they're like, okay, yeah, that totally makes sense. Right. Um, online, it's a little bit harder because they kind of have to you know, do some of it first and feel better. Um, I felt meditation was the same way. I, I've tried off and on to meditate since I read one of Andrew Wiles' books in like the mid '90s. Mm-hmm. You know, and I, unfortunately, I kept making the time less and less because I thought, okay, if I'm not doing this, then you know, kind of the BJ Fogg approach, I'll just make it smaller and smaller, mm-hmm. and that works really, really good for a lot of stuff. But the problem that I forgot about for myself personally was I never felt any different. I never did it long enough to feel any different. Hmm. So I went on a, a mastermind retreat a couple of years ago. Uh, my buddy, Mike Bledsoe, was doing some uh, Wim Hof breathing hmm. on the breach. We were hanging out in, in Mexico. And we did this for about a half hour. I was like, oh, my gosh, I feel like completely different. Mm-hmm. Right? Hmm. So you're going through periods of very, you know, super ventilation, like breathing really hard and then not breathing. And when I got to the not breathing part, I was like, oh, Oh, this is what quiet feels like. Holy crap. Um, yeah. <laughs> this is what I've been looking for. Oh. Yeah. Um, so I'm not saying that everyone needs to do 30 minutes of Wim Hof every day, yeah. but I do use even just three rounds of it to get people with that they're just chilling out, they're laying down, they're not moving. Heck, they're not even breathing. It's like, oh, that's what quiet feels like. Oh, okay. Right, yeah. right. And once they have that you know, sensation, right? The old saying, you know, feeling is believing. Uh Then you can transition them into, you know, other forms because now they know what they're trying to do. Right. Um, So, you know, doing more what I call the the Zen style, just stare at a tree type thing is super useful. And I think that it, uh, you know, people would benefit from doing it, Mm -hmm. but it's also a really hard sell because you're asking someone to just kind of 
quiet their mind and they don't even know what that feels like yet. So they don't really know where they're going. Sure. So it's a little mm-hmm. bit harder sell at first. Yeah. Makes sense. Makes absolute sense. You mentioned a, a little bit about protein, just kind of shifting gears too. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've talked quite a bit about protein and what is optimal versus adequate protein intake. What, what do you usually recommend for your clients around protein? Yeah, it's a good question. Most of the data right now, I would say if you use English scale, right, because it's all in metric, mm-hmm. 0.7, <clears throat> 0.7 grams per pound of body weight, I think is going to be pretty good. Mm-hmm. So if you're a 200-pound athlete, you're talking 140 grams. Mm-hmm. I even use that for people who are not super athletic. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not crazy high. It's much higher than the RDA, right? Yeah. RDA is about 60 grams per day, which I think is really low. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, but it's, you know, you can get by with a one gram per pound of body weight. I'd say that's probably on the high excessive side. Again, it's not bad, uh, per se, but I like using around 0.7 grams per pound of body weight. Uh, there's some chronic studies that have been done on that. Uh, Kevin Tipton's done one, uh, Muriel's done one. Uh, there's a meta-analysis by Dr. Eric Helms and a bunch of other authors were on that kind of came to the same number too. Mm-hmm. We have a fair amount of data that says that that's going to be a pretty good number. We do know that if you go half of that, there was a study done where they did 0.7 versus 0.35. And these were not necessarily in people that were training, mm-hmm. but they just radically slashed their calories by 50%. So a pretty extreme fat loss case. Um, in that case, again, they were not resistance training. They yeah. did lose lean body mass by quite a bit. Yeah. Um, so mm-hmm. we know that if you are going hypocaloric, especially without resistance training, and your protein is very low, even at the RDA amount, you're probably going to lose lean body mass, which is not good. Right. right, right. That's interesting. There's a lot of differing opinions on there. So I, I like your input there, Dr. Nelson. Yeah. 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 It, it's, it's one of those controversial the, topics. A, yeah, it's a big can of worms, but in my biased opinion a lot of the stuff related to longevity and low protein is very hypothetical at least in humans mm-hmm. uh, there's some good animal data that gets into whole caloric restriction things of that nature uh, but the one thing we do know is that sarcopenia so loss of muscle protein as muscle over time is not good right. yeah and we do know that as you age in general because of anabolic resistance you're going to need more protein yeah um, so I'm kind of more on the, the higher protein camp that's going to be better. Yeah. Good. Do you incorporate any type of, uh, fasting in your athletes? I do. Um, I started using fasting probably about 10 years ago, actually. And how I got into it was I was looking for something that would increase the body's ability to use fat as a fuel. Mm-hmm. So increasing metabolic flexibility. So mm-hmm. how well can you use carbohydrates? How well can you use fat? Sure. How well can you switch back and forth between the two? And we know that exercise can do that. But I'm like, well, outside of exercise, is there anything else that can do it? So I you know, looked at a bunch of supplements, a whole bunch of other stuff. And then I realized, oh, probably one of the strongest uh, signals is insulin. Insulin is higher, it kind of pushes you to use carbohydrates. If it's lower, it pushes your body to use more fat. That's kind of a fuel selector switch. Mm -hmm. And low levels of insulin will increase your body's ability to use fat. Like, oh, cool. So how do we get that? Well, you could do a ketogenic type diet, but we're looking at more performance athletes, especially speed and power. That comes with a a cost on high-end speed and power. Mm -hmm. If you don't care about that, then that doesn't matter. 
Um, some people don't like doing a ketogenic diet because they like eating carbohydrates. So compliance can be an issue. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, if your favorite foods are, you know, olive oil and bacon and fatty steaks, then you're probably fine. <laughs> right, right? right. So right. depends on the person. Um, and what I found was that, oh, fasting. Oh, you mean like just not eating? Mm-hmm. Oh, <laughs> when you don't eat, there's <laughs> no food coming in unless you're, you know, doing shots of olive oil or something weird like that. Mm-hmm then your insulin levels become pretty low at about 18 hours in healthy people. Um, if you're more overweight, it could be longer. It could be up to 36 hours, a couple of studies on that. And when insulin is lower, it's going to push your body to use more fat for fuel. I'm like, ah, okay. So if we can just fast for a period of time, so I'm a bigger fan of doing a, a longer fast, like once, maybe twice a week. So a 19 to 24 hour fast that someone would work up to. Mm-hmm then we're pushing the body via low levels of insulin to use more fat as a fuel independent of exercise. Right. And of course, when you're fasting, you have the benefit of you just cut out a whole bunch of calories for that day too, because calories obviously do matter. Mm-hmm. And when I started doing it, my thought was, oh, that's all great. But when I apply this to actual people and clients, it's going to be a, just a disaster, right? right. No one's going to want to fast. It wasn't popular then. Everyone thought right. it was a bunch of Looney Tune stuff. <laughs> and the biggest mistake I made was on myself just trying to go from eating every couple hours to doing like a 20 hour fast was just the disaster. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, Oh crap. This would be like someone coming into my garage gym and being like, yeah, I've never deadlifted before. Oh, that's okay. We'll just, we'll just put four or five on there and I'll just <laughs> yell at you to try harder if it doesn't come up. Right. 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 You know, unless you're Andy Bolton, it's just not going to move. Uh-huh. So, but what if we go, Oh, let's just pick Monday. And let's just uh, push breakfast out by like two hours, right? So you ate at 8 p.m. You normally eat breakfast at 8 a.m., uh, have breakfast at 10 a.m., right? So voila, you automatically did a 14-hour fast. Mm-hmm. And let's just push it out by a couple hours the following Monday. Let's not try to do this every day because it is a stressor. Let's try to do that the following Monday. And after about four to eight weeks, most people, not everyone, but most people could do a 19 to 24-hour fast like relatively easy. Mm-hmm. I was kind of shocked that the compliance was, if I did a gradual approach, pretty good. Mm. It was actually much better anecdotally than doing a couple of very low calorie days or protein only, or I tried a whole bunch of different versions. And I think there's just something about the simplicity of just don't eat anything that has calories, right? right? It makes it very clear. It makes it kind of, you know, when you're on, when you're off, it's easy to follow. It's easy to track. And even just something about having a low caloric lunch like as soon as you start eating you just it's hard to go back and do another longer fast afterwards i found versus just not eating for that period of time Mm -hmm. and then the check i have at the end is they have to report back what is their kind of post fast meal and i want it to be just something that looks normal right just high protein veggies you know some fat you know some starch if that's you know in your macros or where you're at and then that's it. Like pretend that never happened. You don't need to make up for it. You don't need to do anything crazy. And if their post fast meal ends up, you know, getting stuck at the Chinese buffet for four hours, eating everything in sight. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. We probably went a little too hard on your fast, mm-hmm. right? Cause now you feel like you're really trying to make up for it. Right, yeah. right, um, right. So if it did those things, I find that it, it works pretty good for most people. Um, the caveat is I would not I don't personally use it for clients who are very high stress, who are under eating, 
and whose solution when they get stressed is to not eat. Mm-hmm. Um, they kind of have an inverse problem. And I find longer periods of fasting, like I said, can be a stressor to some people. Mm-hmm. Um, so if they're really high stress, looking at their HRV, I probably won't use fasting. But for other people, if they're, you know, healthy metabolism, everything else is good. I find it definitely can be helpful. Great. Cool. Well, Michael and I have been to your website several times, and there's this cute. Oh, li- thank you. There's this cute little icon on your website. Um, can you tell us about the children's book you co-authored with your wife Jody, which stars Mr. Mole, who plays a he yeah. plays an interesting part on your website. So talk about Mr. Mole. Yeah. So it started off as kind of a, a joke that my wife. <laughs> When we first got married, I would she would run around at night turning all the lights on, and I would turn all the lights off. <laughs> and she came downstairs once and turned the lights on, and I would just happen to be looking up at the light at the same time. And I was sitting down basically kind of more in the dark, and my eyes are like super squinty. She's like, oh, how's it going, Mr. Mole? <laughs> so it kind of became this running joke. And then we're like, well, what if we wrote a book about uh, sleep and the, the different effects of you know, sleep? But what if we made it a, a children's book? Because mm-hmm. you know, trying to get you know, kids to go to bed is usually a big issue for a lot of parents. We have a lot of nieces and nephews. Uh-huh. Yeah. I'm like, oh, what if we made it a children's book for adults? Right. <laughs> so if we can sneakily get them to read this book to their kids and be like, Oh, oh man, maybe I should be doing some of this stuff. Right. <laughs> Sneaky. <laughs> because they're not going to read it to themselves, but they'll right. read it to their kids, right? right. People yeah. do more for their kids and their pets than themselves. Yeah. yeah. So, and we had uh, her nieces and nephews were the illustrators in it. Um, so she wrote the main part, and it was a very kind of rhymy uh, version that does sound more like a kid's book. We had all the kids, <laughs> you know, draw different pictures and stuff for it. Right. And in the middle, I kind of put the Mr. Mole science research review of <laughs> here's your, you know, three-phase approach you should do for better better sleep. So it's kind of a combination of a children's book for adults that they can read to their kids. And hopefully their kids get some benefit out of it and adults get a benefit too. That's great. That cracks me up. Yeah, that's, that's really smart. It's actually. super smart. Yeah. It, Michael's it, got small children. So he's like, he's oh, there you go. This. Yeah. <laughs> Michael's like, oh, and I have sleep problems yeah. because of the small children. You so. need to get the book, Michael. <laughs> I will be right there. <laughs> yeah. And that's super common, right? Because right. kids get up during the night, you're getting up, you're yeah. going to bed later. You want to chill out and relax after a while because the kids finally went to bed. So yeah. Yeah, super common. Genius. Yes, yeah. That's genius. And because of it, I, I moved all of my HRV machinery up into the attic because <laughs> there's no point at this, at this juncture. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, understandable. Well, Dr. Nelson, I want to say thank you so much. This has been a really great conversation and, and fascinating. Um, before we let you go, there is actually one additional thing. We have this little question called the fireball question that's a little bit uh, uh, left of center. And (laughs) we were talking beforehand and we were trying to think of, we we have some bets going on about what the T stands for. We have a debate. And so we're wondering if you can explain to or just let us know what the T in Dr. Mike T. Nelson stands for. Well, the running joke I tell people is it's for a tiger, but <laughs> it's, it's actually not. It's Thomas. It's my dad's. Oh, see. That's we had. <laughs> my guess was Thor. I was like, this has got to be a strong oh, middle go. name. <laughs> yeah. I started doing it because in my high school alone, I didn't go to a very big high school. There was two other Mike Nelsons. Oh. So that got to be super confusing. Yeah. Uh, so I just started putting the middle initial there and just 
basically just kind of kept it. Um, people have ever watched uh, Mystery Science Theater 3000. Yep. Yeah. The host yep. was Mike Nelson from Hopkins, Minnesota, actually. <laughs> oh, wow. wow. <laughs> That's, That's awesome. Yeah. Well, we can't thank you enough. We're honored that you spent the time with us today, Dr. Nelson. And we want to encourage everyone to go to MikeTNelson.com and to yes. check out your Flex Diet podcast. And we're just honored that you spent time with us today, sir. Yes, thank you so much. And if people want more information, I have a free ebook for them, which I'll put them on the newsletter list, which is where most of my information goes out. Uh, they can just go to the lab report keto ebook.com. Great. Awesome. All one word, the lab report keto ebook.com. And it's just an ebook on, you know, should you do a ketogenic diet? Because that's probably still the number one question I get. So yeah, I. Great. Went through and even made a little flow chart and everything for people. That's Perfect. awesome. We'll, we'll link it in the show notes. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. That's great. Thank you so much, Dr. Nelson. Yes, thank you so much for having me on. I really appreciate it. Take care. Take care. I'm going to get me that ebook. You should. Yeah. We linked it in the show notes. I'm going to get it because we ask that question all the time. Should I do keto? Mm -hmm. And by I, I mean... I. Well, we ask that every week on this podcast, and so it looks like Dr. Nelson has done that work for us. That's perfect. So mm -hmm. I just got to read it, and then I'll have my answer, <laughs> and I'll decide whether whether or not to do uh, keto, depending uh -huh. on whether I feel like it. Oh, my gosh. Well, I'm going to look into the dolphin microcurrent thing. You know, what he was saying about the midline scars mm -hmm. and stuff like that, mm -hmm. it's actually really interesting because in acupuncture, they talk a lot about how some of these surgical incisions yeah. can disrupt the meridians. Wow. And there's actually acupuncturists out there that's like their specialty huh. is to reconnect the meridians that wow. were destroyed from their, their surgeries and their scars. And that's why I liked him so much because he's opened all these new ideas in alternative therapies. I just thought he was so intriguing there. I'm just going to say it. Go ahead. Well, that was fun. That was really fun. We should have him back on again. Agreed. And in the meantime, we should uh, talk about what we're going to do next time. What are we going to do next time? Next time on The Lab Report, we're going to talk to Dr. Elena Zinkoff. Yeah, she wrote a whole book on resetting cravings. And she's a naturopath, so I'm going to feel right at home. Yep. As much as I can on a regular basis. Sure. You've been listening to The Lab Report. If you like what you hear, please subscribe to our podcast, rate us, and leave us a review. To learn more about Genova Diagnostics, visit our website at gdx.net. There you'll find information on specific testing, educational resources, and how to connect with our show. Call us at 1-800-522-4762 or email us at podcast at gdx.net. Have you ever had acupuncture, Michael? Oh, yeah. I used to get it all the time. I love acupuncture. I did, too. I've had it. Yeah. I had a shoulder injury from P90X, and it helped me. <laughs> I haven't had a scar that needs a meridian. We should have repair. a show on all the injuries from B90X. <laughs> I know. We should have a class action lawsuit. I have umbilical hernia, <laughs> B90X, ab ripper, literally. Ripped your abs. Literally an ab ripper. Need some acupuncture for that. <laughs>